Welcome to MedHeads, the weekly show that brings a biopsychosocial focus to issues of the day, along with special guests who will showcase their expertise and enthusiasm about their field of practice. Your host, Dr. Fergal Armstrong. Hello, my name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong and welcome to this special MedHeads chat, which I'm going to call Deck the Halls but Not Your Family, tra-la-la-la-la-la-la-la-la. And for this special episode, we have our usual regular guest, Marie Eisman. Hello, Marie. How are you? Hello, hello. It's nice to see you with a hat on. <laughs> well, thank you. I quite like it. I think we might keep it for the rest of the year. <laughs> so there is a serious point to this, that a lot of people feel pressurized to have fun at Christmas. A lot of people actually go through trauma at Christmas. Yes. And Christmas, there's a huge expectation on, on, on the need to deliver. Oh, yes. And there's, a, there's, a, there's the potential for a large amount of unmet need, mm -hmm. a large amount of trauma, a large amount of abuse, and basically it can be an utterly miserable time of year for yes. some people. Because we don't all lead fairy tale lives, you know, we don't all have beautiful Christmases. Exactly. And that's what this episode is all about, is how do we get through this particularly challenging set of days? And it's, you know, one of the first things to, that, I, that comes to my mind is it's not even one day anymore. It can be bloody weeks. So yeah. how do you put up with it? How do you get through it? Because I hate Christmas. <laughs> so tell me, how to help me get through this. And I think you, you bring up a really, really good point. Not everyone loves Christmas. And we yeah. actually kind of, the invitation I often say to clients is meet yourself where you're at. And we and you touch on a really important thing. You know, sometimes the, you know, people may or may not know, but I've worked in the area of trauma for, for a number of years. And, you know, we're often getting together with family members that have sometimes caused some of the biggest atrocities within families. The amount of survivors of um, trauma that I've, you know, I work with who with Christmas is so triggering because they have to get stuck with somebody who was a potential offender. Um, yes. You know, whether that be through physical, sexual, you know, um, some sort of abuse of some sort or even straight out neglect. Um, yes. And so there's a, be a huge level of anticipation or anticipatory anxiety around Christmas having to sit there and see, you know, a creepy uncle or a, you know, a pedophile cousin, you, you name it. And you're right, we put this big, huge emphasis on, on one day um, when we probably are best to remind ourselves that it is actually one day out of 365 days in the year. Um, the other thing that goes through my mind is that with the ever-changing aspects of family, more often than not, the days of us having a, a partner that we married when we were young and that person stays our life partner often doesn't happen these days. You know, we've got stats about relationships not working and we've often repartnered. And so mm. we have this emphasis that on one day we're meant to go scurrying out of the house at six o'clock in the morning to try to dive around to all of these people, um, including blended family, and somehow still have, you know, uh, petrol in the tank come the four o'clock, five o'clock visit for the, for the last visit. And what we're starting to see is that Christmas, you're right, it isn't going to necessarily be a one day thing now. 
it's going to often be over a number of days to take the pressure yeah. off. Yeah, and I mean, I could wax lyrical on the on the antecedents and the history of why we celebrate Christmas, why mm. we uh, on particularly on the twenty fifth of December. A lot of people don't realize that actually, the twenty fifth of December date was developed. <clears throat> Uh, or, or, or was paying homage to the fact that the, the Roman festival of Saturnalia happened in late December. And also, uh, the, the date was set to kind of take hostage the birth date of the god Mithras, which was a very popular Eastern god uh, at the time mm -hmm. of the Romans, and also was being worshipped by a lot of the Roman legionaries from the East. So even the date itself even though we celebrate it theoretically as the, the birth date of Christ, it, it wasn't, historically it's inaccurate. But, you know, that, I mean, when I say that to my friends and relatives, they all tell me to shut up. <laughs> so. Well, I learned something again today, as I usually do when I do one of these episodes. <laughs> so we, we've agreed that there is a disconnect, right? Yes. There, there, there is a disconnect between the expectation of what Christmas should be in the fairy tales and what Christmas is for a lot of people. Mm. How do you cope with it? What are so, the things that we need to be thinking about? So whenever I work with my clients, I often invite them to think about when are they at their optimal? Mm -hmm. Is it really feasible to potentially go and see somebody in the family that you know is likely to trigger you when you don't have the resources, perhaps at the end of the day, if you know, some people are more morning people, some people are more afternoon or evening people. And I always invite people to just tune in and actually ask themselves, when are they at their optimal? When have they got the ability to respond as opposed to react? Um, so that's one of the first things I think about is how can we, how can we, and I don't want to use the word manipulate the environment, but how can we try to get a win win? Uh, if we have to see people that sometimes trigger us or that we may not even particularly want to be around. Um, mm. It's one thing to, to see somebody, say there's one person out of a family of 10 that you don't overly get along with, but people want to make the effort for the nine other people in that family. You know, I think we, you know, my, I'm always inviting people to think about, you know, how can we get the best so that that one person doesn't become, you know, um, you know, it doesn't become a, the, the trigger that actually, you know, ruins the whole day um, and mm. sometimes that can be about you know tuning in or when you're at your optimal um, the other yeah. thing I'm always thinking about is you know what are what are people doing as far as maintaining their own emotional well-being over Christmas you know it's not uncommon that the self-care rituals that people you know ideally employ get put on the back burner so people are often eating more of the stuff that they ordinarily wouldn't eat um, they're often drinking, um, perhaps increasing alcohol or other things that they otherwise wouldn't be doing. And we need to realise that we've already got a system that is already stimulated. You know, our central nervous systems are already in often hyperarousal yeah. um, because of something like Christmas. And we need to realise that as a biological aspect, uh, when we start adding other things in there, it doesn't take much for the, for the balance and the homeostatus to go out. So we need to be very mindful of our self-care ritual. And we need to try yes. and optimize the time that we're going to be most heightened. Yes, that's right. Yeah. And knowing if we're going to go and see somebody that we're likely to be triggered by, is it ideal to be going there in the evening after maybe mm. people have already been drinking huge amounts of alcohol? Yeah. That's when we're more likely yeah. to say something that yeah. we're going to end up regretting. 
Yeah. Um, the other thing I also invite people to think about, especially for my clients that get a lot of things like anxiety and get overwhelmed in shopping centres, is a couple of people have come up with this really, really groovy idea where, I don't know about you, but sometimes, in you know, we've got big families and we're, you know, paying 20 50 you know, $70, all these little gifts that for people. And I've actually heard some families doing some really creative stuff where instead they'll put um, all the names into a hat and each person picks somebody out of that family. But the mm. money that they would have then spent on all of these other, you know, 10, 15, 20 people actually goes to that one person, but they actually get a purposeful, meaningful and potentially um, quite a valuable gift. But right. when we think about energy expenditure, that person is no longer racing around to 20, 30 different department stores trying to find the nice candle, you know, the nice bottle of wine um, and and adding extra stress. And I actually thought, and I've I've shared that with a few clients and they've actually come to really see the merit of it. Somebody really wanted a half-decent TV. That's what they were going to ideally spend $700, but instead what's happened is they've spent all this money on all these other things, whereas someone's actually got something that they really wanted, not something that ends up in the, um, you know, in the recycle bin or worse still over in the, you know, the Brotherhood of St. Lawrence bin the moment, Christmas Day is finished. <laughs> yes, isn't that beautiful? That <laughs> All of these Chris Kringle presents get re-gifted ultimately. <laughs> they do, so, um, or uh, eBay them. They're off on eBay the next day. <laughs> yes, just what I always wanted. Another egg basket. <laughs> okay, so... One of the more serious points that I'd like to make, you know, in, in my capacity as an addiction medicine specialist is that I don't believe that if Christmas is challenging for you that you should be tippling at Christmas. Because as yes. you've said, you do need your wits about you. You do need your emotional resilience about you. And there's no denying it. Alcohol reduces your ability to cope with stressful situations. Now, a lot of people think that alcohol improves their ability to cope with stress. It may reduce performance anxiety, but ultimately it erodes resilience. So you need to learn how to deal with the performance anxiety in a way other than resorting to the bottle. Because when things, when you go to the bottle, it just doesn't end up nice, does it? I mean, you, you've described to me before, as the day goes on, how the alcohol impacts upon presentations to ED. Tell us about that. <laughs> One of my absolutely cherished um, nurse friends actually told me that she never had to look at the clock to know what time of day it was on Christmas because she would gauge that usually if she, you know, first thing in the morning it would be uh, the kids opening up their Christmas presents, getting their skateboards out, you know, their new Christmas um, gift, um, getting on their new push bike, uh, and usually the incidences of what will happen will be the accidents that happen in response to new gifts at Christmas time. So that's usually your first round of presentations in the ED. Then there's the Christmas lunch where, you know, Uncle Bert or, you know, uh, somebody ends up having, you know, woofing into the food and then all of a sudden it looks like, oh, my goodness, is this a heart attack? When, in mm. fact, it's probably a nasty bout of indigestion, but the person doesn't know that because now all of a sudden, you know, they're feeling particularly vulnerable. Uh, Then the next round of of client presentations is usually the um, the uncles, you know, usually uncles, and I don't mean to sound gendered, or even sometimes aunties, I guess, who decide after a few (laughs) drinks around lunchtime, early afternoon, decide to end up on the kids' skateboard, 
or get on the kids push bike and have a you know a, re- a reconnection with their youth usually resulting yeah. some you know, broken arm or a, a fractured leg, ankle <laughs> fractured ankle something that they're paying for dearly at the orthopedics department so many weeks later and then they're off yeah. for the rehab at the physio uh, and then it gets progressively worse. And, of course, by 8, 9, 10 o'clock at night when everyone's really, really had enough to drink, uh, then all of a sudden someone's presenting with a punched, a broken nose or, a, you know, a bruised eye or, um, yeah. you know, in a really bad, nasty form of an, a severe assault or a concussion yeah. or, a, you know, a head strike, <laughs> loss of consciousness. Um, yeah. yeah, so that was always really humorous, but not really in another way. It was actually quite serious. Yeah. So we, we're, what we're seeing, you know, from from all domains of healthcare provision, is the impact of alcohol as the day goes on. Yeah. It's just, it's it's just, you know, an, another layer of grief and trauma that you just don't need on that Christmas day. Now, one of the things that you talked about <clears throat> was blended families, and and I think I think we need to also explore this issue of you know the multicultural Christmas. And I'll speak from my personal experience. So I, I was born in Southeast Asia. I grew up in the United Kingdom and then I emigrated to Australia. So when I was growing up in uh, the United Kingdom, for me, Christmas was all about white Christmases, the cold, snow. It was about Christmas carols at a church the day before. Uh, and it was about you know, opening up, opening up presents after lunch, after a yeah. hot meal with hot plum pudding and hot custard with a little bit of brandy in it for the kids and no more. And, you know, and then basically watching the Queen's speech at some time and then watching the BBC to repeat of The Great Escape, you know, or, or, or The Sound <laughs> of Music, you know. Yeah. That to me was Christmas. <clears throat> now, coming to Australia... You know, when I first came to Australia, I thought that, you know, Australia was basically a suburb of London. It's not. It's, it's, it's a separate country, country with its own unique identity and its own unique culture. And part of that culture is not eating plum pudding at you know, Christmas. It's eating prawns and Barbies at, on Christmas Day with a sweat pouring off here in the, in the blazing sun. And, and, you know, so for the first time in my life, I had to put on sun cream to attend a Christmas dinner. That was, and I was wearing instead of a, a suit, a shirt, jacket, and tie. I was wearing a you know a Hawaiian shirt and a pair of shorts, burning my white skin to, to a cinder. It it and it felt utterly alien. Yeah, I'm not now, surprised. one of the things I've noticed is that you know, in, especially in blended families, you yeah. you know imagine you know an, an Indian mum and a couple of kids and then a, 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 an Australian father with a couple of kids and the Indians celebrate Diwali and then the, 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 the other children celebrate Christmas. Yeah. What does it all mean? How do you cope with that disconnect? And more importantly, what do you do about Santa Claus? So let's talk oh, about yeah. blended families and then talk about cultural differences and then we'll do the Santa Claus bit. Yeah. So, yeah, you're right. Blended families. um, Look, that in itself is sometimes I know this is going to sound very, you know, hard for some people to possibly digest. But usually, you know, there's a thing around and I touched on this before is around projection. Mm. And that is that thing where sometimes when we get triggered, our first reaction is to go look what they look what they've done or, you know, 
it's about something that that person's done. What I've learned when people do sometimes more of their own inner work, when something like that does go on, but we can actually stop to just take a breath and go into ourselves and ask, what's going on for me? What's getting triggered in me here? Um, that can sometimes shed a little bit of light on that it's actually potentially not about them, something about something that's been stirred up in us. So and this kind of leads into the, the, the thing around, you know, the cross-cultural stuff. Like I've seen many people who have gone on and found a different religious, you know, appreciation. And sometimes mm -hmm. their families they've come from are aghast. It's like, how could they change their, how could they change their, their religious belief? How could they all of a sudden not be this way and go that way? How could they be influenced by this new love of their life that now they've abandoned these religious um, traditions and now moved on to something else? Um, and I think in a lot of ways, you know, it's not that really that dissimilar to your normal grief um, and loss trajectory that people do go through. In some ways, it's, a, it's around adjusting that some people's individuation process is them actually then taking on saying, look, this is the family that I've chosen to be in, in connection with. This is that there's actually a surrendering in letting people make choices, even if they go up against the ones that you would ideally make or highly mm. hope for that person. Um, and sometimes, you know, it, it doesn't have to be the grief and loss of somebody dying. It can be the grief and loss around uh, the the binds that the, that thread us together, starting to lose their lose their thread, and that can be very, very disabling and very dis um, disorientating to families who are particularly traditional. So, how do you cope with that? What what kind of techniques can you use to to realize? that actually it's more important to understand how you're reacting to a potential behavior or a trigger from somebody else. Yeah, so I use a lot of the, the grounding techniques and, you know, I think there's a part, there's a fundamental small part in us at no matter where we are that is actually okay as we are. The more that we can actually put aside all of our scripting, put aside all of our beliefs, you often find, um, you know, and I know you do a lot of mental health stuff too, Fergal, but you know that we've all got core beliefs. We've all got these beliefs about ourselves that have been formulated from quite a young age. And usually these core beliefs get triggered us triggered in certain social realms and contexts. And right. sometimes we just need to really realise what echo from our past is getting stirred up because we, when we realise that it's archic, that it's historical, we mm. don't have to let it run the show and make us wobbly in the here and now. But, we, right. but it does take that higher order thinking to be able to see that. And, and sometimes right. that's a process. And that process cannot happen. You cannot go to therapy on Christmas Eve to prepare you for <laughs> Christmas. Day. You know, no. You, you, know you, you do need to plan for this. And, you know, Christmas Day, you know, is going to be, you, you know, it happens every year. So you can plan for it during the year. Um, now, one of the things, now, I've had personal experience of this, actually, that, that I've, I've gone to Christmas parties and I've asked the mums of kids, oh, right, so what's Santa bringing the kids today, this year? And mum has looked at me stony-faced saying, we don't celebrate Christmas. Santa Claus doesn't exist. Mm. Mm. <sighs> yeah. What do you do there? The yeah. I mean, how... It's important to emphasize that for some people, Santa Claus is is a is, is actually a damaging social construct. Yes. You know, for some people, they don't tell their kids the fairy tales because they feel that they're lying to their children. So there is no tooth yeah. fairy, there is no Easter bunny, and there is no Santa Claus. Yes. Um, 
I don't think there's any right or wrong, but I think people need to understand that and people need to respect the, the, the customs of others. But personally, I, I, I don't know. What do you think? I, and I agree. I think that some people, that, that's what they've decided, that they do not want to be, uh, some people do not want to be indoctrinated in anything. They really yeah. have the position that they do not wish to um, mould their children in one way or another. The one thing that, you know, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned about, you know, you wearing your addiction hat before is that, you know, I wanted to take a moment to sit in my social work hat. And that is that for many children, who have come from disadvantage, when they get to school or they catch up with their peers and they say, so what did Santa get you? And we've got some children who are saying, well, Santa bought me a new iPhone. Santa bought me an iPad. Santa bought me some whiz-bang, you know, $1,000 cubby house. Yeah. And what that actually does for children, and this is something that I only... I say this from a really a, a big place of compassion, is to highlight to uh, to parents that they're actually better off saying that I've bought this rather than letting it look like Santa is actually being discriminatory because for children they can't understand why one Santa, the same supposed Santa who's going down everyone's chimney, has given one set of kids down the street the iPad, mm. the iPhone, the thousand dollar cubby house, and for yeah. them they've got a colouring book. Yes. <laughs> I couldn't have put it better myself. An iPad versus a colouring book. <laughs> now, it's also important to note that actually Santa, Santa, you know, this idea of Santa Claus riding around overnight, um, you know, visiting everyone and bestowing gifts and all those who are good actually derives from the, the, the legend of Odin riding on his horse Sleipnir on the on the midsummer nights so or, or sorry you know the, the the longest night of the year and looking down on all the good people bestowing gifts and punishing those who were bad yes so again, it's, not, it's not very christian is it so not at all <laughs> no it's not so we do take on traditions that, that yes. if we understand where they come from maybe i don't know does it take away some of the magic but yeah you're absolutely right it's important that kids are not discriminated against, and yeah. I, so, do you do you advise people then, apart from apart from saying, "Well, I bought this," rather than Santa? Do you advise parents to to, to discuss Santa Claus in any other way? I think it's that, look, most children will have started to work out really what's going on. I'm hoping um, <laughs> this doesn't get aired to children and take away their magic. Um, but, yeah, uh, I think it's very much a, a very much a family perspective. And when I say that parents should be telling their children that what they've got is from them, that's not to say, you know, if they really want to, of course, put something together in the stocking. But I think we just need to be really conscious about what are we putting in this, you know, what are we stuffing in the stocking that we're going to say Santa's given when in fact it may be better off if they're actually saying, hey, mm. we got you the expensive gift, but Santa's also given yeah. you something as well. You know, you say that most kids work it out. I didn't work it out. My mother had to actually tell me. And then she went into great oh. detail to explain how it was her hair that she plucked from her head that was Rudolph's hair. And my father ate the mince pie and the brandy and the calf carrot was eaten by the mother. And I was absolutely gobsmacked. <laughs> I was Look, you know, I, 
I have to sit there and say, you know, the threat about Santa not coming over Christmas is probably, a, and I have to say so many people and so many parents use it, you know, get into bed. Otherwise, you know, we're going to have to write a letter to Santa to say don't deliver to this address. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure how well that works, though, as, a, as, a, as an admonishment. So ultimately, I mean, we, we know that Christmas is a, is a very stressful time of the year and it is a social construct and, it, and it's part of the, the, the culture that we've evolved from. Yeah. What do you do when you just can't manage it? You know, you can say no. You can say no and no is a complete, you know, no is a complete sentence. More often than not, I'll see people saying the word no and then they scramble around for a justification. And if we can honestly just take a breath and go, no, and just look, <laughs> um, I think that's important. The other thing I always invite clients is to give themselves an out. A lot of anxiety can be mitigated if we give ourselves permission to say, look, you know, I've got a, I've got a, a cat that needs antibiotics every three hours. <laughs> I've got to get home to the dog that needs to be let out. Um, I need to check in on my neighbour who's not so well. She doesn't cope well with Christmas at all. And, and to be able to say, look, you know, um, I'm happy to do in an appearance. Um, even if you can, sometimes even organising where you're stuck sitting at the table can be helpful. Some people like to get in there early so they can actually pick the desi- like not the designated seating, but they can actually get so they're not stuck with the you know, somebody who's going to potentially trigger them and that they're trying to sit there and cut into their turkey while someone's actually driving them crazy opposite them. <laughs> when I try and orchestrate seating arrangements, I always end up being sat next to the person I particularly want to avoid. <laughs> I don't know why. The fates conspire against me, but the one person who I really detest always ends up sat right next to me. I just think, what have I done? To, who have I offended in God's earth that I actually have to go through this? Did you sort out of the seating arrangements? Well, you know, the, the seating arrangements in my Christmases are, are not, or in fact any of my social functions are, aren't really predefined. And so you kind of sit there at one edge, hopefully, and then invite people to sit next to you. And then they move off and say hello to someone else. And then by the time the person I want to avoid who arrives late, there's only one bloody seat left, left and that's <laughs> next to mine. <laughs> I'll never forget it. it. It happens all the time for me. But yes, the, 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 the social out. And what I find hilarious is actually watching people argue about the social out. So I'll give you an example. So, oh, um, I need to get home because I need to feed the cat. <laughs> I've heard people have arguments about, well, actually, well, tell you what, I'll drive home for you and feed the cat for you so you can stay and enjoy the rest of this Christmas party. And then you know, the first person's utterly flummoxed. So what I would say is if you see someone giving a social out, accept it for what it is and don't, out of a sense of charity or hospitality, pull that social out away from someone because I have seen outs become more and more and more and more ridiculous. <laughs> Just accept the fact this person wants to go and let them go in peace. Yeah, that's right. And ask ourselves, you know, what are we holding on to? What, what, can't, what, what aspect in us can't we let, relinquish here? What part do yes. we feel that we're needing to grab on to? Because, yes. you know, when we allow people to be because they genuinely want to be, it's a very different feeling of somebody being there out of a sense of genuinely wanting to be there rather than obligation. People get the yes. best out of people when they're there because they genuinely want to be because they're there with that expectation yes. and they're there without pressure. And I don't yes. know about you, but when I'm in my free space, that's when people will get the best out of me. If I feel yeah. like I'm, I'm shooting on myself 
And look, the other thing is, you know, so many people, somebody will offer, say, look, can I bring something to share or can I take the load off by doing this? And I've seen so many people go into their scripty behaviour such as, no, it's my job to get rid of all of the Christmas wrap. No, 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 don't worry, I'll put it all on. And they put this whopping great big feast on and they could have taken away some of the pressure on themselves that the moment the car starts idling in the driveway and they go off, then they start bitching. Well, I don't know why I did this. I, you know, I'm exhausted. I put myself through this. We have to really ask ourselves, what games are we playing with ourselves before we set this up? Yeah. Because the, the bitterness and the resentment often happens when it could have all been avoided if they had a, when somebody said, would you like me to bring the trifle? Would you like me to bring some of the, you know, the, the salad? People have been yeah. so stoic going, no, 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 no. We have, you know, let's let's really work out how we can be kind to ourselves and actually take the pressure off and potentially s- swallow some aspect of ego and be okay with that. And kind to others. Yes, and kind to Chris- self because when we're kind to ourselves, mm. we're more likely to be kind to other people. That's yeah. compassion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's Christmas is coming up. I hope yes. you survive your Christmas. <laughs> and so with do some I. of your words of wisdom. Your- I hope that I survive my Christmas, or rather, I hope that my wife survives my Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> because it's her that has, to, that has to deal with most of it. But thank you so much, uh, Marie, and uh, I look forward to chatting with you again very soon. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. My name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong. Thank you for joining us on this festive episode of MedHeads. Stay safe, be kind to yourself, be kind to others. See you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you.